kind of hollered for my four-year-old uh, to get help because mommy, mommy was in trouble. And that is a little preview of our show today. Get ready. It's going to be intense. guys, it's Stephanie with Closet Moms. I am riding solo today because, you know, mom life and Ashley has a newborn and a schedule and yada, yada, yada. So today it's just me, um, but we are coming to you with a great, great interview. I am so excited. Um, we have my friend Rachel on the show with us today and she's amazing. I'm so happy that she was willing to come and talk with us because we are talking about a topic today that is not discussed enough. There is not enough information. And for that reason, I just had to have her on the show. Let me give you a little bit of a background on our guest today. Her name is Rachel Groves. She is originally from South Florida, but moved to the Orlando area in 2002 so she could attend the University of Central Florida's College of Nursing program. She holds her bachelor's degree as well as her master's degree in nursing from UCF, and she is now a practicing nurse practitioner. She is married to her husband, Brandon, and they have two children together, Jack, who is seven, and Natalie, who is five. Rachel came to co-founding the YES Foundation, and that stands for Young Empowered Stroke Survivor. She suffered a major bilateral cerebral stroke at the age of 32 in June of 2016. Going through her own recovery in hours and weeks and months of therapy to gain back what was lost, Rachel can attest to the importance of early stroke assessment, early treatment, and the crucial role rehab and support for the patient play in recovery. As a former bedside nurse, a nurse practitioner, and recovering stroke survivor, she had a desire to give back and use her knowledge and personal experience to help patients navigate a complicated and sometimes confusing system. So keep listening for Rachel's story. It is amazing. I had goosebumps the entire interview. Her story is incredible. Um, We talk everything from pre-stroke to post-stroke, recovery time, and where her heart is now on the other side of recovery and what she's doing to help others just like her. 32 is a very young age, you guys. Like This is crazy to me. She's giving us information that maybe we otherwise wouldn't have. So enjoy the show, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for doing the podcast for me. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess I'll start off with explaining how we know each other. Um, So for those listening, Rachel and I know each other because her husband and I work together. And I've seen her at multiple Christmas parties and, you know, work events. Yeah, so that's how we know each other. How many years? I don't know. It's been... How Um, long has Brandon worked... Let's see. Natalie is now five. uh, So just after she was born. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm going to start this interview with um, you telling us um, your story and um, and then we'll go from there. Okay. well, um, let's see. Life of the summer of 2016 is kind of where all of this journey began. Um, It was uh, a really busy time of year for us. Uh, Jack had just turned four. Natalie was just shy of 20 months. And we had bought a new home. We were getting ready to move. We became landlords to rent our uh, other house. And so it was crazy. And I was still getting my own company up off the ground. So I was working a lot as well. So it was busy, but it was awesome. And life was great. Uh, we moved into our new house, had been there maybe just shy of two weeks. 
And then on June 3rd of 2016, which was a Friday, um, it was like any other Friday. You worked, picked up kids, went grocery shopping, ran around outside with them, came home and figured, all right, let's everybody take a break, change our clothes, get comfortable, um, get ready for just a, a Friday movie night with the family. Um, and then it all very quickly um, changed. Uh, I had felt fine all day. I had no headaches, no dizziness. Um, I had worked. I was a little tired. But what mom isn't, uh, especially on a Friday. So then I sat down and thought, hmm, I feel a little tingly in my fingers. Uh, tried to shake it off. Figured it's just I've overdone. I'm tired. Um, but it continued to get progressive and kind of started climbing my arms. And then I noticed a loud pop and ring in my ear. And I thought, hmm, that's kind of strange. But again, tried to just sit down and take a few deep breaths and thinking it was nothing. But the symptoms continued to progress and I started losing my vision. It was like a curtain had been pulled over my eyes and then I couldn't see anything. Wow. That's when I realized, uh, nope, this isn't just I'm tired. This is a problem and I'm in trouble. Um, so I kind of hollered for my four-year-old uh, to get help because mommy mommy was in trouble. And I tried to stand up to get to him, and that's when I fell. I, I realized my voice didn't sound right. And so I had no idea if what I was saying was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo or if he could actually understand what I was even saying. Right. So, um, but... God bless my little four-year-old. Uh, he realized that I was in trouble, and he dragged me. I don't know how. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, my absolute dead body weight from the master bedroom to where our baby gate was at the top of the stairs. Um, and somehow had wits about him to just take my hand, put it on top of the gate, and kick it open. And he went downstairs, found my cell phone, called 911, unlocked the front door, eventually came back up with the phone, laid it by my head. I could hear the 911 operator. Um, and then he took care of his screaming little sister who <laughs> had no idea oh what gosh. was going on. So it was, I mean, honestly, God was working in the situation from the beginning, even though I didn't see it at that time. Oh my so, gosh. I did not know that part. And I have massive goosebumps right now. I did not know that Jack was so instrumental in helping you extremely like Friday nights, Brandon would go play softball with the guys after work. And so he wasn't anticipated to be home till probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And this all took place right around that four o'clock hour. Oh so my gosh. It would have been a really long night and the outcome would have been very different had Jack not acted of, on what he, I don't know, somehow instinctively knew. Wow. Um, At four years did. old. That is insane to me. I mean, I yeah. know I've always known Jack as a smart kid, <laughs> but that is cr incredible. At four years old, he knew exactly what to do. Yeah. And all I can say is kids pay attention to more than we give them credit for because they had talked about it at, you know, in VPK and they'd had fire department come out and talk to them about how to call 911. And, you know, you don't think that they're necessarily going to remember that, but Wow. He did. So, and, you know, forever my hero, for sure. That's amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, so I just laid on the floor and kept thinking, wait a second, I'm 32. I'm healthy. I've had two kids. 
I'm a nurse practitioner. I, this is not what a stroke patient looks like, and this cannot be happening. Right. Um, and but I knew that's what was happening, and I knew at that point time was um, essential to getting help and my potential for any kind of recovery. And so I waited and waited. It felt like forever. I honestly don't know how long I laid there before help arrived. But once it did, I felt relief. Like, okay, the the hard part's over. Now they're going to take over. They're going to get me to the hospital and we're going to get this treated and I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, um, I didn't present like a typical stroke where you would have one-sided symptoms, facial droop, um, my symptoms affected both sides. So I looked like a very drunk mom <gasps> on the floor. Oh my and unfortunately that is what was assessed. And so when I got loaded into the ambulance, I wasn't, uh, taken by lights and sirens so that in Friday afternoon traffic delayed my arrival to the hospital a little bit. Um, and once I got to the hospital, I didn't come in as what they would call a code gray, which would be a stroke alert, meaning you go from hospital door right to a CAT scan so that they can see what's going on. Um, but another small miracle in the midst of frightening chaos, um, my girlfriend, who's a nurse practitioner, heard I was being rolled in with the ambulance, met me in the ER and took one look at me and was like, mm, something's seriously wrong with her. Mm -hmm. And I could here. That was the only thing I had left was my hearing. So I could hear everything going on. And I remember the doctor asking her, well, what, what do you think is wrong with her? And she was like, I don't know, but if she could talk to you and tell you, she'd tell you what you should be doing. Right. <laughs> I just thought that was like, yes, please put me in a CAT scan or an MRI. Um, I'm having a stroke. Eventually, I made my way into um, a scan, and once they realized I was having a massive stroke, the whole room was buzzing with people and blood work and all all of that. Um, unfortunately, as they got ready to administer what I knew would be a life-saving and direction-altering medication um, in regards to breaking up this blood clot and allowing my brain to have blood restored to portions of my brain, um, I heard somebody say I couldn't have it, and I was devastated. Mm. Um, the reason for that being is that I had already started to have swelling around my brainstem uh, from the stroke, and so it was no longer safe to, to give that medication. So I was admitted to the ICU where I spent the next several days in a watch and wait game because they weren't sure if they were going to need to do brain surgery or um, if the stroke would kind of resolve on its own, um, at which point we would decide and find out really what our next course of action would be. So it was a watch and wait, which is really hard for somebody who mm -hmm. uh, likes to control situations. <laughs> so um, we watched and we waited over the next 72 hours I would slowly regain some vision um, and then further scans and literally a million dollar workup of checking my heart and my legs and my arteries and everything, trying to figure out where this huge clot came from. Um, we 
kind of entered the realm of, okay, now we need to start rehab. Um, and so the next part of my journey began, but, you know, I had a really good team. I had neurologists, neurosurgeons, critical care doctors, cardiologists, a cardiac surgeon, a hematologist. Wow. <laughs> so I, I had the gamut of healthcare providers that really uh, stepped in to help figure out what we could do with anything and, and where it all came from. But not to in, cut you off, but how many days was it before you get to this point? About three. It was about 72 hours before my site began to come back. Um, I spent a total of 10 days between the ICU and a step-down unit. And then from there, I went to inpatient rehab because my deficits were pretty significant and I couldn't come home. Uh, That would be too much for Brandon to my husband to take care of me and two kids when I really was at the functional stage of my 18 month old daughter. I couldn't, yeah, I, I, yeah, began to relearn how to comb my hair, how to hold a a pencil, how to hold a fork and spoon, um, and put food in my mouth. And it was, it was pretty significant. So after all of the workup and making sure I was stable, um, I began an inpatient rehab, um, stent. And that was intensive therapy, which was amazing because that's really what I needed um, to have the best chance at regaining my function back. Um, So it was day in, day out from the moment I woke up, I was learning how to wash myself, how to brush my teeth um, with a lot of assistance um, I stood up with a walker and a couple of therapists who literally just held my body weight. Um, but I had to relearn how to walk and how to talk and how to move, uh, which was really strange. So I spent the next week and a half or so spending every hour of the day exercising, um, my tongue and my mouth, my legs, my core, Um, some of these exercises seem so strange and silly, but they made such a big difference. Um, and incredible. I just, you literally started over. Yes, I did. And what I thought was so silly at times, I realized were really special moments in the midst of all of this, that my homework was to read Dr. Seuss books to my kids and to sing songs with them so that I could learn how to have inflection and tone in my voice because I had lost all that. Um, and something else that they added into my therapy was music therapy. And it was honestly probably the best thing that happened in therapy because it helped me learn how to walk better. Um, the, the music uh, played a role in just a more natural slide uh, and took the overthinking of move arm, move leg, move foot. Um, And so I was able to speed up and slow down to the music and swing my arms and legs to music, um, which was incredible. So that's something I would have never thought about prior to hearing this. Yeah, me neither, actually. And I didn't really realize how well it worked. I heard of music therapy. I've seen people do it, but until I experienced it myself, I had no idea what 
impact it had on the recovery process, even to my speech and being able to talk with, you know, more flow. Um, yeah, it made a huge difference. That's awesome. How long did it take before you felt like, okay, I've, I've done it. I've made it. I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm going to go back to normal. Like when did that click for you? Um, probably not until the end of the first year. Wow. Um, yeah. Cause even after I was done with the inpatient rehab, I was allowed to come home, which was amazing, um, to just be close to the kids and be with them. Um, but then like the rehab process continued and that's where we really had amazing family and friends step in because I still couldn't drive. I couldn't cook. Um, I spent most of my time with assistance from the bedroom to the couch. Um, and that's, you know, that was hard because, you know, go get her mom, you know, was like, oh, the kids need something. Let me just jump right up and get, get to them. And right. it, it didn't work that way. I couldn't get Natalie in and out of her crib. So my husband would help prop me up in the rocking chair so I could rock her to sleep. But then we were both kind of stuck there till somebody came back and picked her up and put her in bed because yeah. I couldn't do that. Um, so there were a lot of adjustments, both for me and for the family, a lot of role reversals. And, um, I don't know, we, we grew through it, but it was definitely trying for sure. I can't even imagine. Thank God for Brandon. I feel like, I mean, I don't live with him, so I'm sure you could, you know, probably fight me on some of these, but he seems like (laughs) such a great person to be in your life at that moment, because he seems like a very caring and let's let's get what needs to get done done and I could imagine him being a great team partner for that he was and he was all about whatever we have to do I don't matter what it takes what it costs where we have to go um he was committed to getting me as much therapy as possible he knew that's what I needed um and yeah I definitely he was my rock um And it was, I saw a whole different side of him. (laughs) (laughs) That's so nice. Do you think that your background um, in the health profession uh, aided you in any way in your recovery? I know maybe not right away because you probably wanted to help more than you could. But after the fact, do you think that helped? Definitely. Um, My aunt used to tell me knowledge is power. But when I was in the midst of the stroke and couldn't tell people what to do that I knew needed to be done, it was my knowledge base was the most frustrating thing ever. Right. (laughs) um, But in the long run, I think it definitely helped knowing that I knew doctors, I knew who to ask or go to um, uh, seeking out second opinions and really saying, okay, I don't feel right. Something is still off and really pushing and advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, to find answers and to understand why I still struggle with symptoms and and things that lie just below the surface that nobody can really see and trying to give a voice to the things I still struggle with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think having that background was huge because it's easy to write off some of these lingering issues that are hard to explain and can't be seen. Um, and so I think being able to advocate for myself, um, it's huge. And I think that's also a part of the process of recovery and coming to grips with everything that I've been through. 
makes me want to step out in the role of being an advocate for others who don't necessarily have the knowledge base that I have. Right. I Yes, because I feel like if I were in any kind of medical situation, I would be at a total loss. I know nothing. And I do find myself uh, reaching out a lot to my friends and family members who are in the medical profession. And I that would be such a benefit if I had that knowledge. So I admire you a thousand percent for willing being willing to help other people. When I hear somebody had a stroke, I think of a grandfather or a grandmother, like an older person. What are the um, most common myths about strokes, do you think, besides the age thing, which is the obvious? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely um, the biggest myth is that it's an old person disease. So it's true that as you age, your risk for stroke goes up. However, there's been an increasing number of strokes in people ages between the ages of 18 and 65. Um, according to a survey that was done by Stanford Health, as many as 10% of the people in the U.S. who experience a stroke are younger than 45. Um, wow. And unfortunately, those numbers seem to be on the rise. Um, the American Heart Association said between 2000 and 2010, the number of people between the ages of 25 and 45 who were hospitalized for strokes increased nearly 43%. That's crazy. Yeah. I know what you described, um, I feel like I could work out and I would probably feel a little bit like that. But are there any other signs that are like, okay, no, this something is totally wrong with you that maybe people don't um, know about? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the common ones. You know, they teach the, the face having a droop on one side or one arm or leg being kind of not functional or feeling not attached to the body. And everything being kind of one-sided. And those are very common symptoms of a stroke. However, in young people, they can present a little bit differently. So even some subtle things that young people might blow off and say, oh, it's nothing. I'm just going to shake it off, give it time, can be symptoms of confusion, difficulty, understanding somebody else who's talking to you, um, trouble speaking, funny visual changes, um, and loss of balance or coordination. Um, the other two to pay attention to would be a sudden and severe headache. And if you're a migraine sufferer, you're like, well, I get headaches all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, this would be a migraine or a headache that doesn't go away with your usual remedies, is kind of in a strange place in your head or just feels a little different. Um, and that would be something to definitely seek out medical attention for, because um, unfortunately, us young people <laughs> tend to take symptoms like that and be, oh, well, I'm tired. It's been a long day. It's, you know, yes. And I tried to do that at the beginning too, thinking, oh, I've just overdone or I pinched a nerve or something and it'll go away at a pass. I got to keep pushing through the day and, you know, because it's nonstop and we're fast paced and everybody's stressed and that's, yeah. you know, unfortunately life, especially as a mom, but, um, younger patients are definitely less likely to utilize 911, uh, for symptoms like this. Right. Um, and yet we are also the age group that benefits the most from early and aggressive treatment. There can be people having stroke and never getting treated, treated for it because they don't realize that these are signs. Yeah transient ischemic attack or a TIA is like a 
a mini stroke. Um, and that's something where you can have these symptoms and they do fade away. And so you think, okay, it was nothing, it's gone. And But those symptoms, NATIA, predispose somebody to, within the next several days to weeks, having a potentially massive stroke. Um, So if you're thinking you're having those symptoms that are a little bit odd and new and out of the ordinary, um, they still should be evaluated to make sure that you didn't have a small event that is potentially setting you up for something larger and more devastating in the future. Yes, exactly. I think a lot of people um, think they would be embarrassed or they don't want to make a big deal about it. It's very good information to have. How would you know? Right. And I hope that sharing my story brings light to that. Um, I know just recently a a friend of ours um, knew my story and started having some funny symptoms. And also uh, a young mom thought, I'm too young for this. I'm being ridiculous. This is nothing. It will go away. But it didn't. And so she finally said, okay, as stupid as I feel, I'm going to go to the ER. And she did. And she was having a stroke. Oh, my gosh. And so it is, I can't stress it, the importance of if something's off. um, And even if it goes away, it should probably be something you talk to your healthcare provider about and let them know the symptoms that you had. Um, so they can be paying attention and following up on that. Right. Are there any triggers for these types of things? Is there anything we can avoid? Absolutely. There's major risk factors for stroke that some of which can be modified. And so those major risk factors are high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, women who take birth control pills are also at a slightly higher risk of having a stroke. Um, And so some of those things are modifiable through diet and exercise or having a conversation with your primary care provider about how to get your blood pressure or diabetes or heart disease risk factors um, managed so that you can decrease your risk. Some things are not modifiable, and that can be your race and ethnicity, uh, personal or family history of stroke. You can't necessarily fix or change those, but being aware... um, is half the battle. Right. Because I think looking at you, you're healthy, you're in shape. I would have never guessed that something like that would happen to you. What, like what stops it from happening to me? Right. And that's some of those things you are out of your control. And you don't want to have somebody live in fear that at Mm -hmm. any point in time they could drop dead. (laughs) Right. Life, life is fragile and it is an absolute gift. And so I think most of all, my takeaway from my experience is that I have today, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, and so just making the most of being in the moment and enjoying life right now is, is taking a whole new meaning. (laughs) I can, I bet. Um, and like you said, knowledge is power. So you do what you can with what yep. you know, and, and you take it from there. And you are in the um, process of starting a, a new foundation. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So going through this whole process, um, 
I found that I felt alone in the process because I was so young. And so when I started researching or looking for support groups or other people who were experiencing some of the lingering symptoms that I was, I couldn't find anybody. Um, and it felt really lonely. And I felt um, that I had to justify either my disabilities or justify that um, I could overcome it all and bounce right back to my role as a nurse practitioner, a mom, a wife. Um, and so that was a struggle. Um, I did find uh, somebody who was also young eventually named Ray Forsyth. And he was also in the process of recovering from a massive stroke at a young age. So him and I began to talk and realized that, you know what? We have distinct needs and they're different than patients who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who have had a stroke. Um, we're at an age at the prime of our life. We've got our careers going. We we're building our family. We've got young children. There's a lot going on. And so how do we address some of these things that we have felt the system didn't address? Um, and so we decided that we wanted to create a foundation and we named it YES, which stands for Young Empowered Stroke Survivors. It is a nonprofit organization championed by us stroke survivors and our caregivers. Um, and our goal is to provide just resources and support to stroke survivors and their family on the recovery journey because it really does take a village um, to accomplish uh, a recovery that is totally achievable. That is awesome. I think you are the perfect person for this. This is amazing. You see you have a need, you're fulfilling that need, and I'm like so proud of you. I think this is amazing. We're excited about it. So just to take the areas that we knew we struggled and if it hadn't been for a lot of family and friends making sacrifices to step in, um, you know, even simple things like taking care of the kids or helping provide transportation, uh, bringing meals. I mean, they seem so simple and mundane, but mm -hmm. they make a huge difference. So what are your hopes and dreams for this foundation going forward? Um, what kind of services um, do you plan to provide? Ultimately, we hope to bridge the gaps, remove barriers so stroke survivors can focus on what's most important for them and that's their in their recovery and to empower them through that. So through the foundation, we hope to provide wraparound services like transportation, childcare, meals, grocery shopping, lodging, if it took place and there's, you know, out of town needs. Um, another big thing is counseling and support groups, not just for the stroke recover, but also for their family, their spouses, their kids, because I definitely know that this event took a toll on my kids who were mm -hmm. pretty young and trying to grasp that mommy couldn't do things or couldn't tolerate the noise that they were used to making. Um, that's all really hard for them to get. And so being able to have counseling and support groups for the whole family, um, is a definite goal of ours. Um, a few other areas we hope to venture into is something we want to call buddy travel because traveling takes on a whole different picture um, after you've had a stroke and also legal services um, and financial counseling and financial aid because uh, trying to get through your paperwork for 
insurance coverage and short-term and long-term disability and um, how to return to work. Um, all of those things play a huge role in livelihood of a young person. So that's where we hope to take this foundation. That's awesome. I love that. And um, what can people do to get involved? I, I assume you would love help with this eventually. So how can people get involved and volunteer? Um, in what ways? Absolutely. Um, you can head on over to our website. It's yes, Y-E-S-S foundation.org to learn more about Ray and myself, our mission, um, and to stay connected with future events and opportunities. Uh, we are hoping to have um, eventually a whole list of people who would be willing to volunteer to help us accomplish our goals. Um, and so whether it be through volunteering or participating in events or through donations, we would love to have people join us. That's awesome. And just to come around full circle, as a mom, what would be your best advice for other moms and parents who have uh, potentially not gone through a life-changing or near-death experience? Honestly, the biggest thing that I found through this process was um, support, be it large or small. Like the best thing you can give to a family going through a crisis um, is just to be there, to bring a meal, to have, you know, be a point person to help communicate information or be there for the kids to even just love on them. Um, that was really big. So it doesn't have to be huge, but just to be there in small, small ways sometimes is all that's needed. We <laughs> sort of forget that life is so precious and we really need to embrace all the chaos and there, you know, life is short. And I think just talking with you like puts that into perspective for me. So I'm so, so glad that you came on the show because I think sometimes we need a little bit of a reminder. It, not everything is a big deal and we need to really enjoy the moments that we have. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm leaving this a different person just talking with you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so thanks again for coming on our show. And like she said, um, the website is yessfoundation.org. I know that there's a way to donate money um, and get more information just by checking that out. So please let me know when you have events and any kind of fundraising opportunities. I would love to help out and, and get my friends involved as well. So um, you just keep us posted. And then maybe once this is up and running full steam, we can get an update. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on with you today. And I'm so excited for where this foundation um, can go and, and who it can reach and help. Me too. I'm very excited for you. I know it's going to do great things. And um, thanks for taking the time out of your day to do this. And I know you've got kids to pick up and probably groceries to get and errands <laughs> to run. So Back to the Friday life of momhood. Yep. <laughs> So I appreciate the time, and we will be talking soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye, Rachel. All right, bye. You guys, that was so awesome. I'm so happy that we got to share Rachel's story with you. It was totally life-changing for me, and I hope that you were able to receive something from that. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions for Rachel, you can reach out to her directly on her website, or you can reach out to us, and we can connect you. Um, and as always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our podcast. The numbers are growing every week, and for that, we are so thankful. 
I have a little bit of a call to action I wanted to give you guys. Um, as you know, we are trying to reach our goal of getting to the top of the charts so we become a little bit more searchable. So if you don't mind, um, get on iTunes and give us a five-star review or whatever platform you use to listen to us. Get on there, give us a five-star review, and that would help out so much. Um, other ways that you can support us as a brand, because Closet Moms, is getting on Facebook and Instagram and following us, liking our post, tell your friends and family about our business, um, share it on social media, engage with us. We'd love to hear how you're feeling, what you like, what you don't like. Um, use our hashtags. All that stuff is free and pretty easy. So if you don't mind, we've got goals we want to reach and we love, love, love support. So anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. I know it sounds like we're begging, but maybe we are. Anyway, help us out. And uh, until then, we'll see you next time.